Welcome to Downtown Moms Discipleship. So good to see all of you. Wasn't it wonderful last week to hear from our panelists on raising a globally minded child? I just loved hearing the stories from everyone and um, just being able to kind of enter into the space of those who shared with us was a gift to us, I think. And so we use Slido, as, as most of you know, um, it's a format for you can submit questions. So thank you for all of you who submitted questions. You can also go in and vote. So you'll kind of see like how many people voted for us to talk about this question. So they're going to be in order of priority for who voted for um, like the top question had the most votes. There you go. So we're going to get okay. into it right away. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, so as we're like thinking about this, um, my, my kids are four and seven. And so we haven't talked about sex with them yet, but as we're kind of setting the stage to be able to, I have gotten some books about body safety and um, our favorite one on this is called Super Duper Safety School. And um, it talks about uh, safe touches and unsafe touches and um, safe, safe people, tricky people, and um, sets them up to understand like their own um, body and like protecting against like predators and stuff. And when they get older and it's, and we actually are going to talk about sex with them, I'm just going to take them over to Holly's house and have her <laughs> take care of it. I'll, I'll uh, show them the way. <laughs> I thought you and Glenn. Yeah. I, I was thinking like, if you make it, if you make it sort of like an honor, like being like a godparent, then they might do it. Like we would love to ask you to be their sex talk godparent, then, then they might feel like obligated. <laughs> so tell us, your, your kids are older. Tell us how you're handling that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I like what Sarah's saying just about talking to them first about their body and what just about that. We, I'm trying to remember the exact name of it. I'll send you the link, but American Girl actually, interestingly enough, has a book about, it's like the care and keeping of you, something like that. And there's I think there's like a junior version for maybe when they're about 10 and then there's an older one. But um, yeah, that, that's just been a really great resource for, you know, when they're in that age where they don't maybe know if they want to shower anymore or brush their hair, they don't think they need to do any of those things. I mean, some girls really love it and get into it and other girls are like, I don't, I don't really, I don't realize I'm starting to smell or have BO or whatever. Um, and so I think for my older girls, just reading that and kind of processing even with me, but them sort of hearing it from another place or another source that's sort of saying what I'm saying, they would, mom, look what I read in this book. And this is, you know, and then they kind of all of a sudden start to try to keep everything, you know, clean and organized. And so that just as far as cleanliness and, um, order and that kind of stuff, that was, that was really helpful for that. Um, as far as kind of along the safety lines, um, Sarah and I were both talking about earlier a series of books called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And this kind of gets into what um, areas are, should be protected and kept private. And I can't remember the author off the top of my head, but there's a picture book that we bought first. And then now the authors have now created a junior version that's even more simplified for a smaller child, maybe like a five or six-year-old Um but it goes into talking to them how about to protect themselves and then if, or if they get in a situation where they think they're seeing something that they shouldn't be seeing, it gives a very simple plan for what to do. Um, so I think that's, that's really, really helpful. Do you have any thoughts about those books? 
Um, just that you you need to buy it like now because yeah. the average age of exposure to pornography is eight. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's much younger. And it can happen even if you're really careful. Um, it wasn't pornography, but like we, we don't allow our kids to have like tablets or phones or any kind of screens. Like if we're not like right there and it's not locked and protected and all of that. But um, our little, we had like a little neighbor girl come over <laughs> while the social worker was there to do our home study. She brought this, her tablet, she brought it in the door. We didn't know that she had it. And she was downstairs um, trying to make like a, like a dance video on, with Brooke on those, um, on that app. I can't remember what that app is called, where you like make your own dance video. And then it's like, um, like inner, it's like an online, like interactive social. And it's like a great platform for predators. And luckily this tablet was not connected to the internet and they were they filmed um like them dancing to a song Mm. but I came down there I just had this like sense and I was like hold on just a minute to the lady and I went down and she had a tablet I had no idea and so it can happen like right under your nose and um thankfully like nothing happened with that but I just you know I think you have to reiterate with your kids like I was like you know we don't allow tablets in the basement um your, even your friends, you can never look at another friend's tablet without um, a mom and dad there. And so she just, you know, it can just innocently happen so quickly. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always couch it like in our family, we don't, we don't allow our kids um, to look at at tablets in in the basement. Uh, can I take this upstairs for you? And then I just took it up and kept it by me. I was like, I'm sorry, but you can't bring your tablet over here. We have so many fun toys that you can play here. And she is she's had like a really hard home life. She's been removed from her parents and lives with her grandparents. And so she like there was no like ill intent on her part, but I'm positive that she has been exposed to things that I would never want my kids or her exposed to. So I just try and like, like, I don't want to like make her feel bad or wrong for like, she, she had really sweet intent to share her like technology with Brooke, but, um, I just try and like give her alternatives for what her like family has given her. To the question of kind of how do we actually talk to our kids about sex once we get to that point? I think I've tried to take more of the natural approach of letting them guide that conversation versus me directing it and saying, this is when you need to know this. Although there might, you might have certain kids who just aren't thinking and you, you, you might come to the point where it's like, okay, everyone else around you probably knows that I would rather be the one to share this with you than someone else. So I think there is a time and space for that. But so far our kids have been fairly curious or things will come up or they'll just ask questions. And so I try to just give the information um, that they're asking at that moment. So, you know, um, I remember when one of my girls was um, probably like seven or eight, you know, she started to notice, you know, she thought, well, most people that have kids are married. And so, you know, she asked, well, I noticed this mom, um, you know, has a baby and she's not married. How did that happen? And so I just try to give an answer for what kind of for what they're asking. And so not too long ago, something funny kind of happened. We were driving in the car, and one of my kids said, Mom, is sperm a swear word? So 
not quite, we hadn't talked about sperm yet. I'm not really sure where she heard that. So I said, no, it's not a swear word. Um, and she's like, oh, well, what is it then? And I said, well, you know, it, it's, it has something to do with um, a boy's private parts. And sometimes I, I tr- do try to use the correct language. So I would use, if, just depending on what they're asking, I might say penis or vagina or whatever. But, um, and she goes, okay. And that was enough for right now. So, like, I didn't need to go into more than what she's asking, but I also want to leave the door open, and I want my kids to feel like they can ask me anything, and then I'm not going to be like, that's for later. You shouldn't know that, or don't ask me that, or, you know, I just want them to, I want that always to be an open conversation. Um, I have talked to some, like, older kids who've, like, some approaches are, there's books that are say, this is what your kids need to know from 6 to 10. Like, read them these books, tell them this. And I've talked to an adult um, who went through all of that, and, and he actually felt like he was kind of overly sexualized, like his parents were always talking about this and wanting to make sure that he knew everything, and he felt like that was kind of detrimental, and so, so I was sort of, that even kind of contributed to helping me think, okay, I think I want to take their their cues on this. Um, and then as I think, so first comes the, this is just what sex is. You're really talking about body parts, how this functionally works. It takes a quite a while, often, before they kind of put together, oh, there's, there's more to it than that. It's not just about having babies. Like, people actually like this. There are other reasons why this happens. And bringing in that godly perspective of, of procreation and enjoyment and even that part of it, I just kind of, whenever they started kind of getting cues that there were different elements and perspective to it, so I would kind of answer that. And then now I have a daughter going into high school. And this summer was the first time we kind of got into, and how do people, can people abuse this? And what kind of situations, you know, can people get into or they're assaulted or, you know, just... I felt the need to share some of my own experiences with her about things that for her to be aware of. I felt like I was really unprepared going into high school about like situations where I could have been put in, and I was put in difficult situations. And I, I wouldn't even known at the time that it was sexual assault, but it was. And I just felt I didn't. I was totally unprepared for that. And so I thought I want my girls to to know and be prepared, like, what would I do if something like this happens and not to feel totally caught off guard? So I just think there's layers and step by step as I felt like, okay, I think now is the time to answer this question. Or for in this situation, I thought my daughter's not even thinking that these things are possible, but I know that it is possible. And so I want her to feel prepared for that. Um, and then I think the other thing is what I've really wanted to emphasize and from young, and I'm really just talking about it with my older girls at this point, is that um, even though sex is not for them for this time, it is a beautiful thing that God has designed rather than sending the message of this is bad and just don't do it and just make it till you get married. Just whatever you do, just don't do that. I think that's kind of what I internalize for whatever reason. And I think that when it's that negative message communicated, it's hard just to switch that. Um, like then you get married and now it's this wonderful, beautiful thing that you're supposed to have no issues with. And, um, to, so I've really tried to emphasize that and not to say that there won't be struggle and it won't be hard and it won't be, you know, but that just to stress that, um, the design part of it. And then one more thought is just on kind of, I think sometimes the purity element has, and that kind of goes along with saying that it's bad, but the other side of that is, our goal is to stay pure. And I think when we make that our goal, it almost puts purity in this, in, out of a, 
in a different position that it should be in. Like purity is not our ultimate goal for our teenagers. It's that they're following worshiping God, right? And that um, if, to emphasize that to my girls rather than just, this is just stay here. But if we really emphasize worshiping and encouraging their relationship with the Lord, that will, that will follow and that will come into play. That was great. You can say exactly that to them when Got I it. bring them over. <laughs> okay, moving on. What are some of your favorite verses to pray over your child? We have the same verse yeah. that we... We were talking about um, this this morning. We were, yeah. Um, so we, I often at bedtime will just lay my hand on their forehead and bless them. Like, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you mm-hmm. and give you his peace. Mm-hmm. May always number six, Jesus 24. Yeah. First and best in your whole life. And, um, but yeah, that's one of my favorites. And then, and it relates to another, this other one relates to, um, another thing that we're going to talk about later, but I love to recite to them like that Jesus says to you, take heart. I've overcome the world. Um, and just when they're struggling with fear and just different situations like that. I think a couple of things come to mind and just two ideas that I think when I think about what, when my kids leave home, like what do they want them to remember me, the messages that I would say to them or pray over them. And I think the two that come to mind would be that I really want their, them to believe my truest identity is being rooted as a child of God, that I am a daughter of God, I am a son of God, um, and that that confidence in who he is, regardless of, you know, so many things are going to come their way, right? People are going to um, criticize them or, you know, sort of maybe they won't feel like who they were created to be is acceptable for whatever reasons. Um, and so I often will pray scriptures kind of related to identity. I was trying to think of the, um, I was trying to think of what the, Oh, I, I can't think of the verse, but just something to the effect, I'll pray something like um, that that they would always know that they are loved for, for who they are, for who God's created them to be, that their truest identity is in him. And then um, also that just trust. So kind of, I think of... Um, scriptures and Proverbs, um, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I just think so that if they can walk, you know, out of our homes with this sense of identity in the Lord and just a trust in him that no matter what happens, no matter if things go well in their life or things are really difficult, that they can trust in him. Um, yeah. Anything else? Well, this isn't, this is rooted in scripture, but um, we, we sometimes um, like recite this mantra that my friend taught me and, I, and it's, we've talked with them about which verses this is connected to in the Bible. So it's not like we're like inventing our own verse, but um, sometimes <laughs> I like to, to send them out to like school and stuff with like saying this together. And I've shared it at mom's group last year, but we have a lot of new people. So I'll just say it. And I can write it down for you if you want, but it says, um, I am a child of God, fiercely loved and forgiven. I show God's love to the world through how I treat others, regardless of whether they look or think like me. Um, I help those who cannot help themselves. I'm a strong, confident woman, and I'm totally going to rock this day. (laughs) So we like, we, we like say that together sometimes. And, and they, I mean, we've talked about how like God is, it's like an identity thing about how God, um, 
sees them and how that is all throughout scripture. But mm-hmm. sometimes just like giving them that. And, and then sometimes we just like this morning, I just prayed for Kate on the way out of the car. But mm-hmm. sometimes we do that mm-hmm. if I feel like they need it. Mm-hmm. So, and I, obviously we know we can ask our kids once they get to the place of being you know, more open, open or knowledgeable about what's going on, we can pray for them according to that. But then sometimes I think at night, um, beyond praying scriptures, I'll just, you know, if I, maybe the Lord has laid a particular child on my heart, and I'll be thinking, okay, what does this child need, or what do they need to hear from me? And sometimes through prayer is a way that they're also, of course, we're praying to the Lord for them, but they're also sort of hearing, like, what does my parent have on, on what's on her heart for me? And praying for them is a way, a way for that. Um, so, like, recently I was praying for one of my kids, and I, um, you know, was saying something like, hi, Lord, thank you that you called this child to be a leader, and you, you know, you've given this child compassion to see others, you know, help this child to stand up for those around her who um, may need to be defended or may need to be seen, and so it's just sort of, it's also, she's hearing, oh yeah, this is who God's calling me to be, this is what God's calling me up to, and I think there's so much negativity in messages um, all the time against them in culture, so they they need to hear that from us. They need to hear what what we see, and it's for me. It's not so natural to just spew those things out during the day, but like, but at night when I'm focused in and I'm praying for them, that's a way for them to hear that from us. And I also think when I'm praying over them, like those specific things about their personality, it like mm-hmm. it like kind of like reinforces it in my own heart. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah yes. they're really like they're not the tantrum that they threw today. <laughs> they have they have all of these like things that God mm-hmm. has like made them to be. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll like, if I've heard them express things that maybe, you know, you have a child who's really down on themselves, like, oh, I can't, I'm not good enough, or I'm always failing or making mistakes. You know, you can take what you know and really, even if they're not expressing to you in that moment that, that you can continue to pray those things over them. Okay, next question. At what age should you talk to your kids about spiritual warfare and teach them about Satan, demons, etc.? How do you do this without scaring them? You want to start? Okay, sure. So um, when we were talking about this, we were, we were just talking about how it's kind of a lot like the sex talk where like you don't want to give them more than their little heart is ready for. Like that's what, that's how I feel about it is like, I, um, I feel like too much information about spiritual warfare kind of like taints this innocent, like trust that they have in, in God. If you're like giving them too much, like scary information about like, like demons and Satan and everything, because kids have a natural sense that there is good and evil. Um, like I, I think people innately know that and they learn it like Holly and I were talking about through story, like, and and it's a reflection of, like, the reality of the spiritual realm, and so I think introducing them to, like, um, good and evil that way, and then talking about, like, how, um, I mean, I just say to my kids, like, that person, that, like, that they don't trust God, do they? Um, Because I I don't want to paint this, like, picture to them that there's, like, evil people and good people. And like, I, I could, I say like, that person doesn't trust God yet, do they? Um, because like God's desire for us is that we're all redeemed and saved. So like, I think like telling them stories about like, 
I don't know, about the demonic realm and stuff is like not very fruitful at a super young age. And then like, as you feel like they're more ready and asking more questions, I think it's really similar to the sex talk. Yeah, I agree. Kind of letting, I guess I, yeah, I haven't ever taken the approach of just say, okay, these are demons. This is what they are. I don't want them to think there's a demon, you know, behind every door. Um, and I think Sarah is right that with their, they, they start to pick up on that of the sense of evil when they're young or we're reading them stories, they're watching things, they're hearing about things. They have, they have that sense. But I think like when our kids have asked questions or, you know, talk about sort of like, it's usually those late night conversations of that fear coming or, you know, they might not use the word demonic or Satan, but just that sense of evil or fear. I think what we've tried to remind our kids of is that we can be secure in knowing that like, yes, that there, this is a presence in our world, but God has already won versus like maybe other books or maybe Star Wars is like, oh, the good, you know, the, the evil force or the good force, like who's going to win? But we already, we can already say like God has already won. He has overcome. Like we, we, we have that power in Christ. We can say if we sense or we, some people would say, you know, I, I have opened the door to Satan. I have done different things, but that's not the case for our kids, you know, um, I, th- I mean, there's a lot of different theology around this question that we can't fully get into today, but um, there, you know, your child might say, I feel like I have this, this voice or this, you know, something that's saying to me, like, lies. I think that's, like, how I would think a lot about the demonic is this, this voice that's for us or for our kids that's lying to us and saying, you're no good or you're never going to be anything or... Um, what you did is who you are, or those kind of things. I think our kids at a young age, depending on their personalities, how they're wired, what they've been exposed to, can can really start to entertain those voices at a young age. And that could be, you know, some form of the demonic trying to influence them. But we can come in and say, no, Jesus has the power. Like, um, you know, that that. Jesus has the power to overcome that, that that, that's not true, that this is what God says about you, and this is more powerful and stronger than any of those, of those kind of voices. Yeah, Ani's saying at some, like when you got older, your mom encouraged you to, you could be in that stance of power and say like, yeah, like if you, and I have had those seasons too, or those things where I'm like, I just really have a clear sense that this is not me or just my sin nature, but like there just does seem to be this sense of a powerful force of Satan here. And I, you know, I will say, Satan, get out of here. You have no place here. Like Lord Jesus, come and reign. And you can take power over those situations. Absolutely. I love that idea too, Sue, of just using music as a tool to do that because we can be a voice, but it's great to have those other voices and those songs often do. I mean, I can, can you remember some songs when you were a kid of, you know, certain verses that you memorized or knew because of those songs in the car or and whatever? I, I totally feel like that that is a great way to hide scripture in their hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I've, I've been in situations in my life where I've been filled with fear and the only verses I can remember are the ones that I learned through song. So. Jen saying slugs and bugs. They have several volumes of CDs of scripture for kids. It is great. We have, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Next question is, what do you believe about sending kids away for a timeout? (laughs) yeah the question how far away can they go (laughs) and for how long no (laughs) so I 
we, I started out, oh, someone's here for their mommy. So I started out this being kind of an approach that we used more of just, you know, when there's a moment where a child is, you know, they might be really little and they're throwing a tantrum or they're older and you, you know, you just need that space. And, um, I, I think that, so I started out doing it and we have kind of come to a place of coming to doing more of a time in. And so I'll just give you a little background of that. Um, So first, maybe to define terms, when I think of timeout, when I read about it, when people use the word, they're often using it as in a situation where it's a heated situation, um, maybe both the child and the parent are angry or mad, and the parent's saying, go to your room, go for a timeout, and they're sending them away. Often it's for prolonged periods of time, often it's for used frequently um, as a means of consequence or punishment, and there often isn't a restorative process or connecting point or a point in which anything is being taught. So that being said, I think there could be a way to, to do a timeout and not have all those things present, but that's just typically how the word is used. So I would not advocate for doing that. Um, I think over the years, just as I've learned, I thought, okay, what, what could, is there a better way? Maybe, maybe there is a way to do a timeout and in a way that doesn't do those things, but is there, is there a better way here? Um, so what we've tried to do, and I did not, I've done this with more of my younger kids because I was learning as I was going, and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this and see how this goes. But um, letting them stay in the space with you, maybe that's if it's here, you know, I'm saying, let's, okay, let's take a break. Um, this isn't a consequence, but it's, it's a break where, you, you know, we're going to stay in the same room with each other, but we're going to take a break and we're going to not stay in the heat of this. We're going to let each of us let our emotions cool down because I've read a lot about just the brain science between, you know, behind especially young kids and their brains. And if they're, um, is it the amygdala? I don't know all the terminology, but When you're firing, I mean, this happens for adults too, but for kids, um, your brain is firing. Um, Anything that you're saying, like if you're like, I'm going to like get them to understand what I'm saying and you're getting in their face and, you know, they have no idea what you're saying. Like their, their brain is in fight or flight. They aren't listening to you. They can't take it in. They can't respond to you. They can't do what you're asking them to do. So there is that need to, to stop and, um, sit down, maybe walk a little bit to do something to help us and them cool down. Now, for a child's throwing a tantrum, it's going to take, was it like two or three minutes, maybe up to five minutes sometimes for a tantrum to to come down? Yeah, something that was really helpful with that that Mm -hmm. I learned from somebody was like, like if you think about the brain like this, and then this is the amygdala, which is like all the basic like like fight or flight, like all of the basic things. And then these are all like reason and like all of the like higher functions that your brain can do. Like when, when a child goes into like that mode, they literally, it's like they blow their top. They're, all of these are dis- all of these like things, higher functions are disengaged. So they're only operating off of like those animal instinct things. So like mm-hmm. they cannot they actually physically cannot process it's nothing that they're doing like wrong it's they cannot process that mm-hmm. like reason that you're trying to like because you won't buckle your car seat you can't get a build a bear it's just like i'm pulling that out of the air <laughs> yeah. um but but so it's been helpful for me to like stay calm as i'm thinking about like this is a this is a biological level thing that they cannot control and so I need to give them time to re-engage all of these things before we have any sort of a conversation. And 
I think for, for me, part of the reasoning for not wanting to send them away, but to bring them, keep them closer, is I don't want to send the message that you are only allowed to be around me if you're acceptable. If you perform and you do and you behave exactly how I want you to, then you can stay here. But if you're not doing that, then go away. And when you can get yourself together, then you can come and be with me. And so um, I've heard a response to that is like, well, doesn't it feel like a reward? Like if I let them stay by me, doesn't that feel like a reward? It doesn't. It's so funny. They like, I thought when I first switched from time out to time in that they would be like, yes, I get to stay. But that actually they are like, it's a punishment. But then like, we can like the punishment part will be over and then they're still with me and it feels like normal, like a reward. And so it's weird how they switch, but should I tell, Would you say should I tell Mandy's thing? You should. Let me ask you this first. Would you say it has something to do with that it's not like maybe you've stopped the activity or you're not, like there is some sense of we're I not continuing on in our way we were being or in what we were doing. We're stopping to sit still and quiet ourselves or talk about this or have a teaching moment, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know why they think of it differently. But like if I say... Okay, first I'll do the Mandy singing. Okay. I can. I have a yeah. theory, but I don't know for sure why okay. it works. But so <laughs> Mandy, I missed her talk, but I heard it was amazing. Um, but she taught me years ago this whole concept of the tomato plant, which I shared last year in Mom's group. But like I said before, a lot of new people. So um, I'll tell you again. So it's like you think of like a potted tomato plant, and it has to grow up like on on like a. I'm not a gardener. Okay, but I'm just working on keeping wire or stick. I don't know what is it. So there's like a little cage around it, and then there's like something that has to grow up. Yeah, yeah. I kill all the plants, but I'm keeping the kids perfectly alive. And so, so, but I explained it to them. I showed we got a tomato plant, and it died. But I when I first implemented this, I'm like, don't worry about the the plant. Um, So it's like, girls, I. God gave you, you are like this plant and God gave you a mom and dad to be like this little safety thing around you. And I'm showing you which way to grow. And if you start to grow the wrong way, then you need to come close to me again and I, until you're ready to grow the right way. So when we started doing that years ago, um, I would say, I, we like walked through this when everybody was calm, talked about it like a few different times and then I like tried it out. And I was like, tomato plant, and they would have to like come over close to me. And then like if I'm, it's usually when I'm cooking, that if I'm like cooking, they'll like sit on the counter, like your tomato plant right now. And they're just like sitting there like stewing. And, but I'm like not, I'm not showing any like, like, um, like holding any sort of like a grudge against them or like my attitude is just totally normal. Um, and just stay like super calm. And they're like, um, obviously like thinking about it, calming down. And then I can tell, you can just tell as the mom when they're ready to have a conversation about it. Then you talk out what happened, what they could do next time. And then they like go and offer a real apology to their, usually their sibling. Um, and then should I do the apology thing? Yeah. Okay. So it's like a five, I think it's five part apology. It's like, I am sorry for, you say what you're sorry for. It was wrong because... Next time I will, will you please forgive me? And so they have to, we actually, we had to practice that too when everybody was calm and learn that, that four part apology. And, um, and then they can go and they're ready. Are you ready to grow the right way? 
and then they go off and sometimes they just still want to stay with me and cook and I, I give them a job and it's totally different. Like it's a totally different vibe in the room, but it's like, I think because they're like little brain chemistry has settled down, they have a heart change and then it really, it really has worked well. I've been so surprised and pleased that, and it's so much better, I think, than the whole timeout concept of like banish to your room. And then they're like plotting, like why I know I'm right. Like they're not even like thinking. It's not like they're like working through, like I really can see where I went wrong there. <laughs> and I, I have a real heart change. So it's like so much better. And, and I used timeout for a few years first, like until Mandy taught me that. Thanks, Mandy. About the apology, too, we've always encouraged, like, said, I'm not going to mandate that you apologize right now because I don't want them to go into adulthood thinking, okay, just someone, you know, I've hurt someone, so I just say, oh, I'm sorry. And there's no, it's just like a rote kind of thing without reflection, without thinking about what did I actually do wrong? How could I change that? So I'll give them some space. I'll say, okay, do you, you know, I might take talk to the one child who's hurt or offended the other one and say, do you want to apologize yet? And sometimes they say, just, and a lot of it's personality. I have my quick to apologize children and my other ones were like, nope, not going to do it right now, but I don't want to force that, you know, and just degree, like, I'm sorry. And then just because I wanted them to say that, you know, um, the trick with that I found is like making, like, I have to remember, I have to follow up about this. I don't, I, I think I can have a tendency to give them the space to process and then I forget all about it, which some of my older kids have reminded me about. Like, mom, um, you never followed up about that. So that's, you know, that is sometimes um, a risk, I guess, you're taking, but I think it's worth it to give them that space to process. Or just maybe it's an, a half a day and you come back and say, hey, do you want to talk about what happened now? And do you think you're, you know, you, do you feel ready to apologize? And just having that conversation. And do you require forgiveness we we like don't require them to right. say I forgive you mm-hmm. we I've tried to emphasize more like you offered a genuine apology yep. and now you're free like yes. you you like mm-hmm. it's their choice whether or not they forgive you but now you like did what you can absolutely yeah so what you guys do yeah I mean I would yeah I wouldn't require them also to say um I forgive you if they haven't I same for the same reasons I don't want them to just say that to say it Yes, and actually it's four. Once I counted and said it, I, <laughs> it's four. <laughs> I didn't come up with. Um, okay, so I'm sorry for, you name the thing. It was wrong because next time I will. And I have to give them ideas of alternatives um, to like, for it was wrong because it's sometimes hard for them to articulate why was that wrong and then and then what would I do um, give them like an alternative path for next time this situation arises and then will you please forgive me yes I think um, I think three I think they were like three when we started that to have I I like step away because I I seriously now that I'm more aware of their brain chemistry I totally like can feel myself escalating to that point and and just be like I shouldn't I shouldn't like be making any I shouldn't be doling out any consequences right now or like like yeah Talking in general. Yeah. <laughs> Driving. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, I agree. I think I'll just 
whether I physically like step away or not, just try to, for me, it's just quiet. Like I'm not going to say anything right now. If I say anything right now, it's probably not going to be good or go in a helpful direction. And now having teens, I have them to remind me if I do like mom, you're raising your voice a little bit here. Are you getting upset about this? Or, you know, like I can no longer like hide behind anything or I'm like, okay. So they're keeping me, keeping me on track. Um, But also they're, what's interesting about getting, having kids that get older as well is that, um, so my son is kind of going through just kind of starting to those, those pre, like just the very, very start of hormonal changes. And so there's been some things that, you know, he says that he never used to say or attitudes that he never used to have. And so we're kind of just trying to be gentle and patient with that. And, um, sometimes he'll say stuff and, I'm going, okay, I, if I, like I have responded to him at times. I'm like, that, that did not go well. Any sort of pushing, like, correction in the moment just sets him off. It's not going to go well. And so I've tried to just, I think I just need to be, not respond, and I will come back and, you know, but it can look like I'm not doing anything, and I'm just being permissive, and I'm letting him get away with stuff. And even my girls are like, Mom, aren't you going to say something to that? Aren't you going to, you know? I'm like, girls... This is what I'm doing. This is my parenting philosophy right now because they're developing their owns, I guess, as we go along. And so just having to talk with them about, okay, this is like I'm actually choosing to be quiet right now and choosing not to engage this, and I will follow up. I will come back, and I think we can do that at any stage. Before we move on, I just wanted to recommend a book called No Drama Discipline by Dan Siegel. He also wrote a book called Whole Brain Child. So a lot of things that Sarah and I are referencing, and she, she, I know she's gotten her info from other places too, but are, I think, just really different ways to, like, gives you the brain science of it, which I, I wish I would have known that when I, my kids were really little. I didn't know what was happening in their brains, but now we have this research to tell us that, so it just gives us a lot of tools to help us come up with practical ideas, but he has so many practical ideas of, like, the kids screaming in the car seat, and you have to go, and you, you know, he'll, like, play out the whole story in the book and say, give you, like, really practical ideas of what you can say, what maybe you shouldn't say, and to kind of, um, get everyone to lower their stress or anxiety in those situations. So I couldn't recommend those books enough. Um, yeah. So I learned, I learned it when, um, my oldest was, I think she had just turned four and my other one was almost two. So they, the older one got, got it more, but, um, it really, yeah, they, I was surprised that they, that they were able to learn it so well. Some one bummer thing um, when we were on fall break, we watched um, Daddy Daycare. Like we had like downloaded some like movies, and the um, there's like if you've ever I had never seen it. It's like old, um, but but like the the like dads have a daycare that's like super fun and loving, and then there's like this like super like authoritarian like school with this like headmistress who's like the villain, and she like kind of used the tomato plant analogy. And I was like, the villain is using it? Dang it. And my kids are watching it. And I was like, she's not, she, she." I'm like, so she like, she was like, children are like a vine and we need to show them which way to grow. And I was like, oh crap. I was like, fast forward this part. I still think it's good. I still like it. Okay, how do we raise confident yet humble kids? It's a very good question. Um, I think 
kind of going back to maybe something I said earlier just about really, I really hope and want their confidence to come from their identity in the Lord, um, really saying first and the foundation of my life is that I am a child of God and it's not about my performance, it's not about what I do or I don't do, but that at my core, how God has created me, that that I am loved. Like I really want them to get that message and that I'm hoping that you know, through continuing to talk about that, showing them that in scripture, that that they will gain their true confidence from there. But that being said, I think it's ultimately I can't, Glenn and I can't, we can't put that responsibility on ourselves. Like I, you know, every I can do this or I can say this or we can read this or pray this and they will be confident um, in who God's created them to be. I think it really has to be a prayerful thing in this mysterious thing with the Holy Spirit that I'm really praying along with everything I'm trying to do that, Lord, that really only you can show them that. Only you can really help them to believe. And I've t- been talking about this with my older girls. They're like, Mom, we know this. We get this. But there are other messages that come into my mind and my heart that counter what I know to be true in my mind. Like they've even asked me recently, like, how do I really believe? that in the deepest part of my heart that this is really who I am and you know I I just you know I'm like I will pray with you that God will show you this and for me it's been a lifelong journey and I still have those moments where I'm like not walking in that or not living out of that right but I think we can continue to encourage that um I think a lot of culture tries to praise performance over who they are, even that character that, that the Lord is, is building in them and working on that. And, you know, there's lots of talk about what's your kid doing or how many times are they three years old and they're going to soccer practice five times a week because we are going to cultivate a professional soccer player. And, and maybe there's not that that is bad in itself, but is that like, what do we talk about with our spouses, with other parents about what's valuable about our kids, you know, or what do we say to them? Are we praising the outcome? Are we praising the win, the grade, those kind of things? Or are we praising um, the the journey or the effort? And this has been a journey for me to, to really, really be cognizant of that, of not, I think my tendency would be to say, oh, that was great, or that was good, or, you know, they're like, mom, look at this paper, you know, they're always wanting to just show you stuff, right? And to say, do you see me? Do you see what I'm doing? And I've tried to be more intentional over the years to say, you know, if my son, whether he wins or loses a soccer game to say, I saw you really getting in there and I saw you be, you know, working really hard, whether that's in a school thing or in a activity, but, you know, or my daughter sees that my younger one is struggling to unload the dishwasher to see, you know, that child jump in and, and help and to see someone else to notice that like I saw I saw you I saw you see the need and you were kind and you were generous and you were giving and um, to emphasize those kind of things. I don't really have anything to add. That was great. <laughs> um, as far as the the other part of it of uh, what was oh I'm emph- you know talking about the confident part but them being humble. I think that maybe is just a natural part of if they really are truly confident in the way that they, we hope that they would be, that that would just result in not being prideful about it. That if, I think maybe it's maybe easier to become prideful about certain things if we're kind of emphasizing the wrong things. Um, And, you know, so I think especially maybe with girls in our culture, there can be something about always wanting to compliment or maybe overemphasize the physical appearance rather than who they are. I don't think it's bad to say, oh, you look pretty, or I love that. But I think if we're 
really, if that's kind of the main thing that we're talking about as appearance, or even for ourselves, if we're always talking about our own appearance, or, you know, that that can send the message of them getting their confidence in the wrong place as well. Yeah, and um, something that I've learned through um, Brooke, Brooke and Kate's preschool is from the teacher is she just talks a lot about like letting your kids fail and um, and she's like my goal is to get everybody in the think about it chair before they graduate because they're with them for two years and um, just because she's like I want them to see I want them to get like a punishment and know that it's not the end of the world like and so like failing I think really helps to build humility and confidence it's like resilience and stuff and so anyway that's that's something that I have been trying because you're it's so like natural to want to rescue your children and let them win and let them always have like a shine shiny day (laughs) but like but like like letting them fail I think is a good part of like developing like humility in them too I totally agree that, yeah, I think just sometimes the natural consequences of life or things that happen, if we can let that happen and not rescue them, they sort of will be humbled and we're not having to create that for them unless we don't allow that or try to rescue them out of that situation. And, and, but also it's, it's so hard, like balancing, like also you are their biggest fan. You're their, you're their advocate. And, mm-hmm. and so withholding the praise is not, you know, like that's, yes. That's also like noticing, noticing their whole self is like, you're the one that knows them the best. And so like praising them, but also like just allowing the natural consequences of this world to like kind of get them sometimes. I don't know. It's such a balance. And I think they want to know that what they really want is to be seen and known for who they are. And they want to Um, really believe that that's true regardless of if, you know, when they're doing well and maybe there are things you can praise about their character, but there's going to be times or seasons or maybe you're in it now, you're like, I really don't know if I have anything good to say or that we're just really struggling. And for them to know that you still see them and love them even when there's that struggle in your relationship. Okay. How do you balance work, ministry, homeschooling, kids, and marriage? I don't, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I've come to believe that I don't know that there's really true, that true balance is really, can happen or that it's, it's a goal. I think I used to strive for that. Like I am going to work really hard and become self-aware and do goals and all these things and I'm going to become, somehow I will become balanced. But I think I've really come to believe that that's, maybe not a worthwhile goal, that maybe that's not the right question to ask is how can I be in balance, but more what is the Lord calling to me in this season? And when I had four kids under seven, I really felt like God is calling me to be home and to focus all of my energy on my marriage and my kids. And for that matter, that's all I really feel that I can do. Like, I just didn't, I didn't feel I had the capacity to do more. And others of you may feel totally different. You may think, I have the capacity, I have, you know, I know people have a much greater capacity than I have or did have in that stage of life. But I felt like this is, 
you know, what I feel God's calling me to. That was my life puzzle at that time. But as my kids have gotten older, I feel like that puzzle has really shifted. And I now feel like, you know, at some point I added homeschooling to that. And now I felt like I really think God is calling me to spend some of my time, you know, not that many hours a week, but a small portion of my week doing ministry as well. That being said, I can't, I I think I can't put all these things on this list. Like they can't always all function at this high level. Like I'm getting an A right now and everything. Like often I don't feel like that or feel like I'm succeeding if you even want to use that word or doing well. Like I might say from week to week or month to month or season to season, like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling really confident in these areas or these areas are going really well. Or maybe it's God saying, you know what, in this season, the, these two kids, like they really need you right now. They really need your voice, your I mean, extra time. Or maybe it's in a season, it's our marriage. So I'm doing all of them, but I'm not giving the most attention to everything. I think if we try to, like something's got to give, right? We might have value in lots of areas, but you know, I have a value of keeping my house like semi-clean and cooking meals sometimes, but those are often the areas, honestly, that I'm going to let go. I feel like I'm. these are the areas where I want to put more energy. It's always going to be people, whether that's my family or others, and I will let other things slide, and that's okay with me, but some of you might not feel that way. You might feel like, you know what? I am so stressed if I don't have all my things in order, and that's okay too, um, but I'm... I guess I'm just, you know, I try to listen to the Lord about what what to do and what season and that changes and that flows and even people like, Lord, who do you have for me to focus on in this season, whether that's inside my family or not? That's good. Yeah, I I think I have have watched you like say no to things and and it is really clear that you're like that your priorities are so in place and um I feel like I've learned a lot from you about like the rule of life and stuff like that. And um, anyway, yeah, I, I, it's, it's like you can't, you really can't commit to everything, all the whole, all of you. So season, thinking of it in seasons is like a really healthy way, I think, because it's like you, you can have it all, but you can't have it all at the same time. And like, that's like a really, that's been like a really, that's good. A relief yeah. to me because mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I'm like always want to do everything, mm-hmm. and it's, and I can like remind myself like, okay, you you can do that eventually, but like mm-hmm. you can't do it all. I think about that frequently, or I'll think, oh, there's something that the Lord's laying on my heart, and oh, I really want to invest in this or spend more time doing this, and then I'll think, I just I don't have the capacity for that, and remind myself that maybe the Lord is starting to plant seeds in my heart that I of something that I maybe I can't do it right now but he's he's putting that in me and stirring that in me and maybe it'll come at a future time another thing is I've something I've just struggled with over the years is just sort of wrestling with the Lord about capacity um I've felt and being married to Glenn who has this like huge capacity I mean he just does so many things that I've had to choose and rechoose and not to compare myself to him in that, you know, he can do a lot of things quickly and, you know, and just move on and be, you know, I it might take me a lot more energy and thought and to do certain things. Um, and that just really praying that the Lord would, would help me to accept what my given capacity is in that season, whether I 
you know, was at home with really little ones and feeling overwhelmed or, you know, in this season where I'm stepping out of that a little bit. But even I think I could always have that mentality of I'd always like to do more or be with people more or invest in this more and really consistently having to pray, Lord, help me to accept what you've given me, my personality, what my, I feel like my capacity is, and not to compare that to other people. And I mean, I know, I know he would agree with me that, that he does, he can do a lot because you do a lot Mm -hmm. and, and you guys are a team and you're building something together. And Mm -hmm. I think it's sometimes I compare myself to my husband too, that he like does so much, but like, I know that everybody in here has an idea of how many rolls of toilet paper are in your house. Your husband is not carrying that information in his head and they have done studies. It's a real thing. You're carrying the mental load of the house and that's a real thing. And, and so, um, you know, I, I think like I've had to be like, okay, I'm giving myself, I, I need to give myself some grace. Like we're a team. We're almost out of time already. We haven't gotten to so many questions. Um, okay, maybe we'll just try to cruise through and like just do some really quick answers, Sarah. So I don't know if we can do that, but we'll just try to do a few more. <laughs> um, okay, have you helped your? How have you helped your husband connect with your kids? I think. I mean, Sarah touched on this a little bit in the being fun and um, connecting. I, I think I'll just say one, a couple things, and that is, I think. If it's helpful to start this when they're really young and, and not necessarily, like you may not be thinking of it as connecting, but I think we tried to start you know, our parenting journey together as partnering together. And so I think it can, it can start with, you might think of taking them out on things, but especially if you have little ones, it's like we're partnering together and my husband's connecting with my child through changing their diaper, through feeding them, through we're doing this together. We're on this journey together. When you start there, that creates a foundation for, I think, a natural connection. And then they naturally just sort of go into doing those like task-oriented things to taking them out. And maybe they might need ideas for that. And I feel like the the relationship doesn't build as quickly. If if whoever asked this has really, really young kids, like... Mm -hmm. I wouldn't worry. Like my, my husband has only admitted to me like recently that he didn't really feel connected to the kids that much when they were babies. He's like, at when, when our younger one turned one, he's like, Brooke couldn't pick me out of a lineup. And I was like, yeah, that's true. And he's super engaged, but it's just not natural. It's not always natural at first. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think sometimes maybe our husbands need ideas for just, you know, like, why don't you take them to the park or take them to the library or go to Barnes and Noble, or maybe there'll be something, maybe just trying out some different stuff. There'll be something that really connects or, um, your husband might notice, okay, I really saw them come alive when I did this with them. Um, okay. What are your favorite women's mom's marriage devotionals? To be honest, I'm not a huge devotional per- devotional book reader, I guess, but I just read different devotionally minded books by different authors. But that being said, this summer I read a devotional called Emotionally Healthy Relationships Day by Day by Peter Cazero. And it goes along with all the EHS stuff that we talk about at New Life Downtown. But it is fabulous. I There's, you know, it'd be like a scripture reading and then a really thoughtful, deep question that there've been so many times in the morning, I'll, I'll read this and go, wow, that is a really deep question. And sometimes it might, may or may not really hit me where I'm at, but I, I really think I'm almost done with it and I've been just going through it slowly. I really think I could start it over again and get just as much or more out of it. So I highly recommend it. 
Yeah, I I really like using a devotional and I, I almost always do a Beth Moore. I, I really like her stuff. I haven't made it through all of them yet. So, um, but I usually do it by myself because, or like with a friend because I have like this group and, you know, some other groups I go to and I don't have time to go to a Bible study every week. So I just like watch the videos online and then do it. And if I'm doing it with a friend, then we can like talk about it. So that's what I like to do. How do you find your purpose in life? Really struggling with postpartum depression and not having a supportive husband is taking a toll on me, not suicidal, but feeling low. I think, I mean, Sarah and I talked about this a little bit um, last year of just both of us kind of sharing our stories first with just having anxiety and postpartum depression in, in different seasons. And so I think my first thought would be um, maybe maybe just really about you. Like what the first thing would be to address is to who's ever asking this, or maybe there's many of you who are, are really struggling with that to say, how how are you actually? Are you, do you feel like you even have the space to um, like eat real food and drink water and go outside or get some exercise or do you have supportive people in your life? I think that's kind of the first question to answer. And I'm kind of going through less, just my own process. And when I was in that state, I wasn't getting anything that I actually needed to, to put me in a position to even move forward at all. But if you say, you know what, Holly, I've really done all of that. I've, I'm, I'm really doing that. And I'm still really feeling struggling and in a bad spot. Then I would say, go to your OBGYN, you know, seek out a counselor. If you don't know who to go to, ask me or ask Sarah, ask someone at your table for a recommendation. Um, but I think especially when it, if it seeps into depression, sometimes that can, if you get so low and don't reach out for help, it can be really, really difficult to climb out. So please don't, don't, please ask for help. Please tell someone if you feel like I'm really, or maybe you're already there. Um, maybe medication is what's needed for a season or a time to get out of that. Um, to the not having a supportive husband, I think my question would be, is this not having a supportive husband because he's clueless and he needs you to tell him? Or is it more, no, he's just um, not being kind or nice or selfish, or maybe there's just a lot going on in his life? I think that would be a place also to figure out um, is he willing to, to, for him to get help? Is he willing to seek out counsel or support? Um, because that, I don't think that's kind of a whole nother, another kind of thing going on there. Yeah, just go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That's kind of what we talked about. And I, okay. and like, if he's, he's, if you're down and he's like kind of keeping you down, if he's like actively trying to keep you down, like that's different than mm-hmm. if he's just like, you need to like raise your hand and be like, I am drowning. I need help. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, mm-hmm. so. So I think before even being able to say, what's my purpose, I think kind of figuring, figuring out that, that part of things, getting your head above the water. Um, just to that purpose question, I think, um, I think, oh, there's so much I could say about this. Um, I mean, I'm really passionate about really feeling um, like, this calling towards motherhood, and I really believe God has called us to that, whatever that looks like, however much time that means, but um, motherhood is work, just like any other work, right? And God created work before the fall, and he gave us, um, you know, things to tend, and um, 
right now, for those of us who are really in, in that season of it being intense, like that, that is, that is, that is work. And so I would just encourage you, whatever, whatever personality God's given you or whatever gifts or training or education, I really believe we can bring that into motherhood in some way that we don't have to feel like I'm turning my brain off. I'm just changing diapers and rocking, but we can take all that energy and all that God has given us and filter it into to motherhood to intentionally you know, read to our kids and take them places and talk with them. And all of that's a way of engaging our brain and really seeing it as a vocation. I really believe in that idea of vocational motherhood and that it's a sacred calling. And But we have to remind ourselves of that, right? Because otherwise we can be like, well, can't anyone make my child a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Can't anyone do any of that? Why do I need to do this? But I think every time we do that and really think of this as a purposeful calling that that is a seed planted in our kids' hearts, that us doing that, that we're, we're really connecting with them every time we do that. And that's building a foundation for your relationship later. And we don't do it because that there's a security in that of like, okay, if I do all these things, then I'm going to have this amazing adult relationship with my child. We have no security in knowing that, but we do know that God's called us to it. He's given us a purpose in it. And we will see God working in the midst of that. I keep saying I'm not going to go over, but I really want to keep answering questions. But I want you guys to be able to talk, too. Do you want to answer any last one? Okay. So, one last one. So the last question is, how do you pray for a verbally abusive husband? And um, as we were like discussing this, we were just uh, thinking about... Um, I was reminded of Glenn's sermon a couple of months ago about marriage and um, what the Bible has to say about um, the partnership of marriage. And um, I feel like it, one thing that he touched on that I totally agree with is that like, uh, in the past, the church has often done a disservice to women um, in the misinterpretation of scripture that you know, if you're in an abusive marriage, um, verbally, physically, you just you just pray harder. You're not praying hard enough, and that's totally uh, not what the Bible says to us. And um, people have misused those um, pas- passages to keep women in um, really difficult situations that God would never have intended for them to be in. Um, so I, if if um, I just want to like encourage whoever posted this question that um, statistically you're probably not alone in this room in your in your difficult marriage and um, Holly and I are both here to talk to you um, in person or via email um, um, privately and um, the, that that um, you know God's God's view of women in marriage is that you are you are partners with your husband and you were put together and there should be mutual respect there. So, um, yes, yes, you should continue to pray for him. Um, but also there's, that's not okay. And, and you, you may need to bring in someone to, to help out with that situation. So, yeah, I think before asking, should I pray for him? My first question would be, well, how are you? And do you feel safe? Do you think your children are safe? Um, I don't know, you know, the circumstances of the situation, but um, and it is difficult to give an answer without, you know, I think we would have a very specific, more personal answer to the question if, if I was talking to you. And I would, 
absolutely want to talk to you about it and hear, hear your story and how you're feeling about it. Um, I think another question I would have is um, to, that, to that spouse is, is this spouse desiring to change, wanting help, seeking help, or has this person's heart become hard toward you, toward your children? And if that's the case, then there might be some other questions to ask. Um, you know, Jesus said um, that Moses permitted divorce because of hardness of heart. So my question would be is, you know, that, that, that would just be something to, to ask or to discern and kind of figure out where your spouse is at. And yeah, there'd be more to talk about and process um, with that. So we're here. We're here for you. Okay, we've got to stop because I want you guys to <laughs> have time to, to talk and process. Um, so yeah, you can just, if, whatever sticks out, you can just use your same questions as normal. Um, whatever questions or answers stuck out to you, you can feel free to talk about that at your table for about 15 minutes. <laughs>